the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Folks, welcome once again to the uh, Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour. We do this show every weekend. Uh, you're listening to AM 950. That's WTLN in Orlando, <clears throat> booming across the I-4 corridor. Uh, Alan Dempsey <clears throat> does our engineering each weekend, does it well. And Andrew Herdliska does our producing. Uh, James Reston, Jr., he's with us from his home in Maryland, Chevy Chase, Maryland. He is a senior scholar at the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars, and his latest book is out. It's called Luther's Fortress, Martin Luther and His Reformation Under Siege. James, nice of you to join me. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Delighted to be with you. Tell me about your interest in Martin Luther. Where did that come from? Well, it really came out of a book that I published in 2008, which was on the uh, years 1520 to 1536. And that was a very, very interesting era of medieval history where the giants of history strode across the stage, Henry VIII and Francis I in France, and Charles V was the Holy Roman Emperor. There were Medici popes, and there was a, a sultan in Constantinople, uh, Suleiman the Magnificent, who was going to attack Vienna and make uh, Europe half Islamic. So it, so it was a very, very rich period, and there right in the middle was Martin Luther. And I must say, the Luther story just spoke to me in volumes. I mean, this is one of the great rebels of all history. And I think arguably history was changed fundamentally through the life of Martin Luther. I mean, this is where Protestantism, authentic Protestantism, really begins is with the Luther Rebellion. And what I chose to do with uh, Luther's Fortress was to focus just on 10 months of that life in um, in the years 1521-1522, when he is young and he is um, already excommunicated by the Roman Catholic Church and is ultimately banned by the Holy Roman Emperor, Charles V, also. So his life is very much in jeopardy in the 10 months that I've written about here. So needless to say, when you're when you're faced with uh, being burned at the stake, it kind of concentrates the mind. James, tell me about his birth and where he grew up. Yeah, he grows up in um, in central Germany, uh, a part of Germany that uh, used to be East Germany. And then he, uh, he um, settles in Wittenberg, Germany, and that becomes the the center of his rebellion. That's a little town that's south of uh, of Berlin by about 40 miles. And um, uh, that's where he is a young professor uh, at the small university there and also a monk in the Augustinian, uh, in the Augustinian order. And it's because of the abuses that he sees that the um, authorities of the Roman Catholic Church are foisting upon the common man, that in, in especially the indulgences where, um, uh, you know, a poor person could pay some money to get out of a certain amount of purgatory. Uh, this is, that was really the prod for Luther's rebellion. Chapter 2 is simply called Worms. Uh, what's going on here? Well, that refers to di- the diet of worms, which is uh, <clears throat> the the word diet is used uh, in that uh, era in Germany for a conclave of uh, of high personages, including in this case the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V. And <clears throat> Luther has been 
ordered to come to the town of Worms, which is on the Rhine River, uh, to um, be confronted with his heresy. And um, it, it, Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor, who is quite a young man at this point, is presiding over this diet of worms. And it's a, it's a very exciting period in which Luther is, as I said, very much in jeopardy of losing his life. Uh, and yet the Holy Roman Emperor, Charles V, has, has offered to him uh, the opportunity to speak for himself and to account for his heresy. Well, out of that diet of worms comes, comes something called the Edict of Worms, which <clears throat> which does ban him throughout the Holy Roman Empire, and that too subjects him to be seized by any devout Catholic and handed over to the Inquisition. Appointment at Altenstein. <clears throat> What's going on here? Well, after the diet of worms, he... Um, he is on his way back to Wittenberg, <clears throat> and there he is, um, as he is on this journey home, as I say, he's only got a few days in which he is has what's called a safe conduct to get back to his home, otherwise he can be seized. And so a, so a friendly conspiracy is worked out where he will be seized by friendly forces and taken surreptitiously to a castle. In uh, called the Wartburg, and uh, the appointment in Altenstein is where he is actually uh, he is actually uh, seized as on his journey home, and then taken to this castle in it called the Wartburg. How about this chapter called Potmos? <laughs> well, Potmos, as you know, uh, is the island in Greece mm-hmm. where. St. John the Divine was taken to, uh, and where, as legend has it, he, he actually wrote the book of Revelation in the Bible, the last, uh, the last chapter of the New Testament. And as the story is, is related in biblical uh, history, he, uh, Patmos is the place where, where uh, St. John writes the book of Revelation. Well, Martin Luther thought of the Wartburg Castle as being his Potmos, where he was all alone in solitude and and where he does a tremendous amount of writing. And that's what why I call that chapter Potmos. And then James, James Reston Jr. is our guest, and we're talking about his new book, Luther's Fortress, Martin Luther and his Reformation Under Siege. A lowly monk versus lofty king. What's, yes, hap- well, what's, what's happening, James? Well, um, at the Diet of Worms, uh, there were representatives from uh, from the um, the monarchies of Europe, including England. And uh, Henry VIII had a representative at uh, the Diet of Worms who was sending back reports to the king in England about what was going on and uh, this uh, this terrible scoundrel uh, Martin Luther, what he was doing, and. Um, so Henry VIII decides that he will write a, a condemnation of Martin Luther. And what ensues is a quite fascinating interchange between Luther himself and Henry VIII himself over whether or not uh, Luther is a, is a terrible scoundrel. So that's the conflict of that particular chapter. Unclean thoughts, devouring fires... Well, that, that sounds kind of powerful. Well, you know, whenever you write history or whenever this historian writes history, you're looking for ways in which uh, stories back deep into history are relevant to the current day. And one of the fascinating things that he, Luther does in his solitude and in his uh, house arrest, as it were, in this castle, is to look into his own sexuality. And out of that deep consideration of his masculinity, he ends up concluding that his vow as a monk for celibacy is a fake, mm. and that it is really beyond the, the uh, ability of, of virtually all males, except perhaps the, the total saints and angels who are males on the face of the earth, to, uh, to abide by a vow of celibacy. And out of that, he proclaims that the demand for celibacy by the 
Holy Roman uh, Church is really the work of the devil because it forces priests into um, into secret sexual behavior that that is abusive in many ways. So really this whole thing about pedophilia in the Roman Catholic Church that we're we're hearing about over these recent recent years, you can go back to this to the story of Martin Luther to to look at the at the case of one um, monk who who decided that celibacy was beyond the pale and beyond the ability of of most priests and l- led there. James Reston Jr. is our guest. More with James. Here on the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour, it's AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. What's new at the new 950 WTLN? Keep the faith. Saturday nights at midnight, three hours of just the right Bible message for you. Packaged with your favorite contemporary Christian music. It's new. It's fresh. It's Keep the Faith. Saturday nights at midnight on the new 950 WTLN. Start your own business? They'll say you're crazy to put everything on the line to be your own boss. But not GoDaddy. We like that courageous, passionate kind of crazy. And we can help you put the idea or business you're crazy passionate about online. With our Get Online Today Toolkit, you get a memorable domain name, a professional website, and a personalized email powered by Microsoft Office 365. It's not expensive. It's not. For a limited time, GoDaddy's Get Online Today Toolkit is just $1 a month. Just $1. With the purchase of an annual plan, starting your dream business or putting your business online isn't crazy. Passing on GoDaddy.com's Get Online Today Toolkit for only $1 a month. month that's a little crazy we've helped millions of small business owners and we can help you too try the get online today toolkit from godaddy.com and get a domain name a website and email for only a dollar a month oh yeah the web hosting and 24 7 live customer support totally free check it out at godaddy.com slash radio that's godaddy.com slash radio domain included with annual plan only see site for details Tired of dentures that slip? Fed up with the gooey adhesive? <laughs> the taste and the mess? Yuck. Maybe you don't wear dentures, but you have a few teeth that are in need of replacing. Let me guess, the expense is holding you back, right? Well, we have your solution, Half Price Dental Implants. Just go to AmazingRadioDeals.com and click on Half Price Dental Implants. No gimmicks, no tricks, just fine quality implants so you can have the smile you've always wanted. And for half the price, hurry, this offer will go fast. Log on now at AmazingRadioDeals.com for Half Price Dental Implants. You want to feel connected, informed, included, inspired. So when important things happen, we're here. Your local radio and TV broadcasters. America's number one source for news, weather, and information on your radio, TV, computer, tablet, and smartphone. We are broadcasters. Always here for you, wherever here may be. Tell Washington local stations matter by texting radio to 52886. Furnished by NAB in the station. Message and data rates may apply. Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. James Reston Jr., he's with us. Uh, we're talking about his book, Luther's Fortress. And uh, James, now let's get into this topic Rivals Surface. Uh, who, who, is, who are those rivals? What's happening? Is, is in. Um captivity in the Wartburg Castle. This is a good two or three hundred miles from Wittenberg, where the, the, the site of his rebellion. When he's out of the picture in this way, um, rivals do surface in Wittenberg who are fanatics. Mm. And they take the, the really well-formed uh, theological rebellion of, of, of Luther, and one could say political rebellion as well, and take it into uh, fanatical uh, avenues. And this is ultimately very threatening to the Reformation because, you know, if it becomes such a fringe movement that it can be dismissed and suppressed, that would have been the end of the Luther Reformation. And theoretically, um, Protestantism would have to have surfaced well beyond Luther. So Luther becomes very concerned in these letters that are really the basic source of Luther's fortress 
uh, about uh, what's happening to his move, movement in his absence. Uh, it's a, it's, uh, there are some modern relevances to that, too. I'm always interested in protest movements of one sort or another. I'm sort of a uh, product of the 1960s. And so, uh, so when political movements get moved and pushed to the far fanatical uh, extreme, they very easily are marginalized and ultimately wither away, I think. And that's what Luther was concerned about, and, and that's what's in that chapter. Wrestling the devil. Ah. What's happening to Luther here? Well, you know, um, part of the reason for me writing this book is that we're coming up to the um, 500th anniversary of the time in which Luther taxed his 95 theses onto the door of the Wittenberg Church. That's going to happen in October of 2017. Mm. So it was my uh, my hope that, you know, by, in a sense, uh, writing now, publishing this book now in 2015, that it would be a source of good reading for people going straight through the 500th anniversary. Now, that's 500 years to 2017, uh, but um, what I'm arguing in this book is that the, all of these issues really come to fore four years later in 2000, or in 1521. Well, anyway, the uh, town of Wittenberg and the castle of Wartburg are going to be overwhelmed with tourists mm. in uh, 2017, and in a way they already are, as uh, the Lutheran, the 72 million Lutherans in the world, you know, start their march towards 2017. And in the Wartburg Castle, where Martin Luther is kept in captivity, there is the cell in which he was kept, and he did a tremendous amount of writing during that uh, 10 months when he's in captivity there. And uh, as legend has it, he thinks a great deal about the devil. Now, the devil is very important to Luther theology. He, Luther, Martin Luther feels that uh, unless you actually believe in an evil presence, the devil, that one's uh, devotion to, uh, to Jesus Christ and to the Lord is undermined and is lukewarm, that the, to have an evil um, antagonist to Christ and to the Lord, you know, um, deepened the intensity of faith. So... Um, there is this legend about Luther actually wrestling with the devil. And as legend would have it, during this wrestling match, he picks up his inkwell and throws it at the devil. It breaks against the wall and ink splatters all over the wall. Mm. Well, tourists now, whenever they go to the Wartburg Castle, the first thing they want to see is Luther's cell with the splattering of the ink on the um, on the wall. So, is it uh, is it there, James? It's it's there, and I'm sure replaced every single year by those who are in charge of the castle. So this is this is one of those just sort of lovely. Um, uh, anecdotes, but it goes to something deeper, um, which uh, that is the vibrancy of Luther's belief in an evil presence. I, I need to ask this <clears throat> before we uh, run out of time. Uh, that great hymn he wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, uh, where did that take place? What was the timing on that? Well, there's a bit of a dispute about that. Um, uh, the I hope, put it that way, and I have suggested that that hymn was actually written as he is on his journey to the Diet of Worms, mm. that he actually uh, composes it and then belts it out as he approaches the the city walls of the town of of Worms. There's, um, there's some dispute about that amongst uh, musical historians. Some feel that it was uh, written later. It's not published until the early uh, 1520s. So, um, you know, uh, well, uh, several years after he's been at Worms. So it's it's a dispute amongst historians. But the central point is that that's one of the greatest hymns in all of the, uh, all of the repertoire of uh, Christian hymns. And and he was very, very interested in music. He was a lutenist as a young person and um, and writes quite a, quite a great deal of music. 
James Reston Jr. is our guest. The book is called Luther's Fortress. Uh, basic Books put it out. Martin Luther and his Reformation Under Siege. Um, as we've moved through the book, we talked about wrestling the devil. Now, uh, this topic comes up, James, the new creature. Does that refer to Luther? Yes, that's his own That's his own words, actually. At this point, he is excommunicated, and he is... Um, and he has led this rebellion against the core of Catholic theology. And he's basically um, disavowed his vow as a monk. And so he wonders if he hasn't become a new creature in some way or another. And and indeed he has. I mean, this is a, he's, a, he's a defrocked, um, excommunicated monk. And so, what is he? Does he have? He's, he's forbidden to uh, to do the mass and to uh, to celebrate the Eucharist by the Roman Catholic Church. So, what can he do? So, this is tremendously important in terms of the uh, of the birth of Protestantism. That uh, who who are these holy men? These men of the cloth who have no relationship to the Roman Catholic Church. The next topic, a clandestine mission. Well, he, he's so um, uh, he's so much in danger at this point um, that, uh, and at the same time, so concerned with these fanatics taking over his movement in Wittenberg, that he does do a very brief uh, journey from the Wartburg Castle to. Um, uh, to Wittenberg to his to see his associates, and it's very much a cloak under uh, secrecy in the in the whole thing because of the danger of that that mission. Um, but the real importance of that is that with his associates, he decides when he will return to the Wartburg Castle, that he will begin to translate the New Testament of the Bible into the language of the German man in the street. And indeed, that's what he does when he returns five or six days later to the Wartburg Castle. He begins this translation, and that translation is thought to be one of the great literary accomplishments of this era. Now, James, I want you to talk about 27 books in 10 weeks. Wow. Well, this goes to the genius, but also to the passion of Luther. Um, you know, most Protestants kind of focus, particularly in America, on the King James Version of the Bible. Well, the King James Version of the Bible, some 80 years after Luther, uh, had something like 50 translators, and it took him eight years to translate the Bible. Here comes Luther in captivity, all alone, beginning to translate the New Testament, and and in ten weeks he does the twenty-seven books of the new of the New Testament. Absolutely extraordinary act of genius. But beyond the genius itself, just the sheer workload of that is the style that he um, imparts to that translation, because at that point. While there were a few German translations of the New Testament, it was this very uh, inaccessible, uh, inaccessible, you know, rather difficult Latinate German that, that uh, was not accessible to the common man. And Luther's mission here is to bring the Holy Scripture to the uh, to the man in the street in a in a form that uh, he or she can read. Are those translations still around in Germany? Yes, absolutely they are, and they are, you know, absolutely the towering, the towering translation that uh, the Germans have. But um, as you know from that chapter, I mean, I, I give a number of examples where you compare the rather poetic flowing language of the King James Version on some of the great passages of the New Testament with the very down-to-earth uh, Luther translation. So, um, And it goes even beyond the translation of the Bible itself that this is that uh, style of language becomes the standard for high German from that point forward. He, he sets the standard for what is correct German. 
Now, there's a chapter just entitled Rome. Well, um, as I mentioned at the beginning, this is a fascinating time in which these great giants stride across the the stage, and uh, there is a very, very interesting pope at the time who is uh, Luther's great antagonist and who is responsible for uh, Luther's excommunication, and his name was Leo X. He's a Medici pope, comes from Florence, and he's a very outlandish character, very extravagant. He's basically um, bankrupted the uh, the treasury of the of the Vatican at the same time that he's trying to get Luther burned. So um, this is all about the the building of the great St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome, uh, which. Um, before the 16th century was had become kind of a wreck and as the 16th century begins the popes begin decide that they want to rebuild the greatest church in the world st peter's but in order to do this they need a tremendous amount of of money and leo x is is presiding over this and one of the main ways in which they're going to pay for the rebuilding of uh, St. Peter's Cathedral is through this abusive practice of indulgences. So they're, you know, the popes in Rome are basically ripping off the common person all over with this phony thing about uh, indulgences and purgatory. So so that chapter really focuses on the extravagances of Louis, Leo X. Tell me about the next topic, All Alone. Well, um, Luther... Uh, is rebelling against uh, political abuses, but he is also uh, confronting the core of Catholic uh, theology. And uh, he constructs his own theology, his own unique theology. And central to that is a concept called justification by faith alone. And that's the debate over how one gets to heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, the Catholic theology then and now is that uh, the way you get to heaven is that you are a deeply devout, faithful person, but that you also in your life have done good works. Uh, Luther disputes this and says that you don't, that good works don't mean anything, that it is faith alone that gets you to heaven. My guest has been James Reston, Jr. Uh, we've got more here on the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour. It's named, it's AM 950, WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. What's new at the new 950 WTLN? Keep the faith. Saturday nights at midnight, three hours of just the right Bible message for you. Packaged with your favorite contemporary Christian music. It's new. It's fresh. It's keep the faith. Saturday nights at midnight on the new 950 WTLN. Just make it all stop for a few minutes. Help me, God. Three deadlines, four meetings. Uh, looks like another late night at the office. Help me, God. I keep coming to these to forget my loneliness. So why do I still feel so alone? Help me, God. Don't me you just don't, don't cry on don't me, please. please. Don't cry. Help, Help me, God. We all have moments where we feel we've reached the end of our rope. Discover freedom from anxiety, stress, and fear when you spend time in God's Word. Crosswalk.com is here to help you start living a life filled with joy and peace. Choose to read the Bible and talk to God each day. Receive free daily devotionals from well-known pastors and authors, including Max Lucado, John Piper, Charles Stanley, James McDonald, and more. Find the inspiration and encouragement you need for each day sent right to your inbox. Sign up at Crosswalk.com. That's Crosswalk.com. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. I had numerous credit cards, and I was struggling with paying them off because being a teacher, you don't make a whole lot of money. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-758-5360 to talk to a certified counselor. I had heard about Trinity, so I made the call. They took care of all of my credit cards, and now I am completely debt-free. Trinity will consolidate your bills, stop collecting. 
collections code, stop late fees, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. The people at Trinity are very friendly. They will do whatever you need them to do in order for you to feel better about being in a very difficult place. If your debt has you down, call Trinity at 1-800-758-5360. My name is Anne, and I'm debt-free for keeps. That's 1-800-758-5360. Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. James Reston Jr., our guest in that first half hour, uh, talking about Martin Luther. His book is out. It's called Luther's Fortress. And uh, by the way, Reston's uh, website, www.restonbooks.com. Restonbooks.com. Uh, Peter Rosenberger joins us again. Uh, from Nashville, president of Standing with Hope, and uh, his new book is out with worthy publishers, Hope for the Caregiver, Encouraging Words to Strengthen Your Spirit. And, uh, Peter, you make a statement here. If you love somebody, you will be a caregiver. If you live long enough, you'll need one. Wow. How about that, huh? Well, there's 65 million of us, Pat, and the number's growing because we've got almost 90 million baby boomers that are stepping into senior status every single day, and the numbers of caregivers are just going to grow exponentially. And they're estimating, get this, over $1 trillion in wealth will be transferred in caring for these baby boomers. Mm. I mean, so this is this is coming to everybody. I mean, it's, it's going to affect all of us. In my case, I've been dealing with a spouse with a disability for now uh, well over uh, three decades. And... But but you got children with special needs with their lifelong commitment from their parents and their families, and now this vast population. So it's it's affecting our society in ways that we're really really not prepared for, and and it's going to not just affect your finances; it affects your entire life. I mean, your emotions, your health, your spiritual life, everything about it is wrapped up into this. And 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 the church is struggling to get out in front of this thing. I mean, it, it's a big issue. Uh, the foreword of the book by Ken Tata, who's the husband of Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, Peter Rosenberger, radio host, 28-year caregiver. Okay, you've got 40 different thoughts for us here, uh, Peter. Uh, The first one is called shock and awe. What do you write about there? Well, shock and awe is the moment that a caregiver uh, realizes that they are a caregiver. I mean, it just, it it could hit so suddenly. Now, for me, I married a woman who was already disabled. She'd already had her car wrecked by the time I met her. Mm. But even in then, you're going to have moments of shock and awe when I realized, oh, my gosh, this is how bad this is. And it was a couple years into marriage. Families born with special needs children. The moment that child is born, you're like, oh, crud. This is getting ready to, to change my life permanently here. Mm. Uh, Your aging parent, one of them has a stroke or, or a, a, some type of event, medical event. Or you get that diagnosis that, that all of us kind of secretly dread, oh, my goodness, this is what's coming down the pike now, you know, when, when you have a diagnosis of Alzheimer's or something else. And so all these things can hit us in different ways at different times, but it, it's, it's going to hit. And when it does, we can be so overwhelmed by this. And how do you kind of hang on in the midst of this? If you're getting hit by that kind of hurricane. What's your anchor? What, what holds you in place. And, and one of the things I tell my fellow caregivers, Pat, is that when, when you're flying in a plane, for example, on autopilot, a lot of people think, well, you're on autopilot, you know, you're just staying right on course. Well, that's not really what's happening. What's happening is, is that you're being buffeted by the, by the winds and so forth. And then uh, the, the autopilot is constantly making adjustments to keep you back on, get you back on course. So 90, 90 95% of the time, you know, you're not on course, you're being knocked around. But you know where that heading is, and this is what I'm trying to help my fellow caregivers. Okay, we're going to get knocked around pretty good on this thing. I mean, it's going to happen on a daily basis. What's anchoring you? What's keeping you on your heading? What's bringing you back on course? And that's what this book is about. Next topic, Peter, the Delta Doctrine. Well, I'm staying with my plane motif and theme here because I was flying out of Atlanta one day on Delta. You know, duh, everything leads to Atlanta. Delta, that's what it stands for. And... And the flight attendant came on and said, you know what, if we get into a problem here and we lose air pressure, these little masks are going to fall down. Put yours on first before helping a loved one. When I think about that, you know, they say that on every flight. Every flight attendant says this on every flight that goes along. 
Why? Because it's counterintuitive. See, they don't tell us how to open up those peanuts, which are surprisingly hard and can explode and go all over the place when you pull too hard on them. They don't tell you how to deal with that atomic suction device known as a toilet there. They figure, we're going to figure that thing out. But they have to, every marketing agent, every union, every government official, all, all the way down the chain says, we've got to remind these people to put their masks on first. Why? Because it just doesn't match up with our reasoning at the time. We think we've got to rush recklessly to help someone else. And I say, how long can you help somebody while you're holding your breath? <laughs> you know, what, what's going to happen with that? And so I came up with this thing, the Delta Doctrine. What does it look like to put your mask on first? And, I, and through that process, I have what I call the three W's. Wait, water, and walk. When you're in the midst of a crisis, just wait for a minute. You don't have to just speak just because there are words in your mouth. I always just say, bite your tongue and, like, and learn to like the taste of blood sometimes. But more often than not, when you're dealing with the emotional triage of being a caregiver, it's a, it's a rush to speak. And so if we could just hold our tongue a little bit and let the moment pass and not take everything so personally. See, Pat, most people don't struggle with giving injections, even changing adult diapers or, or changing dressings. Uh, or dealing with doctors, so forth. Yeah, those are those are unpleasant things, but it's not the day-to-day -day grind of being a caregiver. The day-to-day -day grind of the caregiver is the relationship stuff, and sometimes the most difficult relationship is the one we have with ourselves, because we start flogging ourselves. We should do this better. We should do this. We should do this. Or we feel guilty if we don't do this. All these relationship dynamics that go on. Pat, we got people now that are taking care of seniors who abused them when they were children. And they haven't resolved these issues, and now that aging parent is in a desperate way, and these children who have these fractured relationships are now having to step up and deal with this. Mm. And, and it's, a, it's a very unsettling thing for so many families that are going about this thing in, in heartache, in real heartache. And the tendency is to get into these flashpoints and start popping off and saying something with these bringing up something that happened 40 years ago into this situation now and i say wait just just wait just you don't have to take this thing so personally and you can step back from it water drink some water wait water just first wait drink some water I always carry a bottle of water so you can put something in your mouth besides words and just drink the thing it'll give you a chance to cool off and then take a walk if you need to just to, to step outside the room step outside the house go for a walk and and air out a little bit Wait, water, walk. And that's the opening steps of the Delta Doctrine of what it looks like to help a caregiver. And then I just go deeper and deeper into that because it's it's not about just saying to somebody, well, I'm going to pray for you. Well, you know, that's – I appreciate the sentiment, but that's really pretty much all that you're saying there is sentiment. You know, it's like going to the post office and you see some guy, Pat, and he's coming to the post office. He's got a bunch of boxes in his hands, and you look to him and you say, brother, you look to be burned down. I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> well, hold the door while you do it. <laughs> you know, there are practical things we can do as we pray, as we minister to these folks, because they are really hurting. They are really struggling, and they, they're, they're in this for the long haul. They see this thing has no expiration date. They're in the valley of the shadow of death, and it is a long valley. And so there are practical things we can help. And if we can help – if I can help my fellow caregivers learn to detach from what they're doing a little bit emotionally so that they don't have to take everything so personally. I had a friend of mine the other day whose dad – precious man. I love this. I've known this family for a long time, and, and he has Alzheimer's, and he says sometimes the most hateful things to her. And she loves this man. That, that voice of his that, that so kindly raised her, and now it's turned, the disease has taken over, and she doesn't have to combat with the disease. She can, she can wait. She can step back, hold her tongue, and realize I'm not going to argue with the disease. The man is under there somewhere, and I'm going to honor and by dealing with this the best I can. And that's what this book is about. That's what my message is about, is helping these caregivers learn how to navigate through these landmines. Peter Rosenberger is our guest. His book is called Hope for the Caregiver, Encouraging Words to Strengthen Your Spirit. Uh, we've come to this topic, Peter, a different perspective. What do you write here? Well, what I'm trying to help do is that this whole section of the book right now is helping caregivers learn to think a little differently about this thing. Stop reacting and learn to respond. Mm -hmm. Now, in your years of sports and so forth, you've seen that if you just react to everything instead of responding, you're, you're not going to be able to sustain that. You, you have to have a way of, of calmly handling situations no matter what comes your way. And, and so I'm trying to help for, uh, for, uh, change the perspective for my fellow caregivers and myself. By the way, I wrote this book to myself. 
Mm. I mean, I remember when I was in, a, I was talking to a counselor one time. The counselor said, "Well, I'd recommend a book for you to read, but you're the guy to write it." <laughs> so I wrote this to myself to remember. I don't need somebody to tell me how to cook. I, I learned how to cook. I don't need somebody to tell me how to do the laundry or change the dressing or fight with insurance companies. But I'm constantly needing to rework my mind. Every battle is won before you get to the battlefield. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you you think it through, you plan for it, and you learn how to respond appropriately instead of just constantly reacting. And that's what I'm helping my fellow caregivers do and myself do is learn how to think about this a little differently, look at this a little differently, and realize that there's there's a different picture going on than we may think. Next topic here under the head, your decision to serve. You know, nobody's putting a gun to your head to make you be a caregiver. Mm -hmm. You may feel obligated to do this. And I work and I have a whole chapter on dealing with obligation. But you are deciding to put yourself between a vulnerable loved one and disaster every single day. And that says something about your character as a caregiver, as a person, what you're doing. You know, what's the old uh, uh, saying when, when people volunteers for service, the, 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 the drill sergeant would come up and say, I need a volunteer. And the whole platoon line would step backwards, and the guy that was left standing in front, he was the volunteer. <laughs> well, that's what caregivers are. You're not stepping back. You're not retreating from this. You're doing it. And I don't care if you just are lousy at it. You're still trying. And that's worth saying something about you, and that says a lot about your heart. And 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 so what I try to do is say, take those folks who are standing in that position, who are willing to do it, and say, okay, what can we do to equip them to be a little healthier, a little stronger, a little calmer, and dare I even say it, a little more joyful, even while taking care of some very difficult realities. Peter Rosenberg's book is called Hope for the Caregiver. There are four parts to the book. We've been talking about the first part, which is simply titled Head. Uh, Peter, the second part you call Emotions. Uh, What's going on here? What do you you write here? Well, I wrote the book up into four sections, Head, Emotions, Lifestyle, and Planning, which spells out help (laughs) because it's all about practical stuff. Your emotions are the hardest thing because that's where the real battle for caregivers occurs. It, it's it's not in learning how to give an injection, Pat. That You don't forget that. I, I've never lost an appeal with an insurance company. My wife's had 78 surgeries, 60-plus doctors, 12 hospitals. I know how to deal with insurance companies. It's not that hard. But the emotional wear and tear on your heart as you deal with these painful realities, when and it's not necessarily what that person you're caring for does. It's sometimes what you do to yourself. And see, that's what I, I want to go after and help these folks get anchored in something that is more substantive it, it, and you, so you don't get blown around a little bit. And so I hope to be able to show them, first off, that they are dearly loved by their Heavenly Father, that He hasn't abandoned them, and that, yes, we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Yes, it is a long valley, but He's still with us. He's not going to leave us, and He's going to reveal things to us along the way that are going to strengthen our heart that are going to give us glimpses into things that we would have no, never normally experienced. And we're going to come through this thing and walk through this thing as healthy, calmer people if we choose to trust him. And sometimes it means we're slipping our, our scared hand into his scarred hand. But that's, that's the whole point. And that we're leaning not on our own understanding. There's a wonderful proverb that says, don't lean, on, uh, lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Trust the Lord and knowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your paths. That proverb that we're all familiar with that I just kind of mangled, as I said. But the point is he put that in there for a reason. Let's not lean on our own understanding. Our own understanding is going to take us into some dark places. His understanding is the only thing that we can lean on. One of the, one of the topics you do here under emotions is called fear is a four-letter word. Fear is, it truly is, an abominable word. And we indulge ourselves in the pain of things that hadn't even happened yet. And we live way out in the wreckage of our future and thinking, okay, this is, this is what's coming down the pike, and oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And we give ourselves an ulcer over something that hasn't even happened. Mm. And, and, you know, give us this day our daily bread. It preaches really nice until you have to live it every day. It's pretty hard to do. In fact, it's impossible to do on our own. Mm. But see, perfect love casts out fear, and if we're hanging on to Christ in this, knowing that he is hanging on to us more importantly, my guest is uh, Peter Rosenberger. <clears throat> We're talking about his book, Hope for the Caregiver, Encouraging Words to Strengthen Your Spirit. Uh, I'm your host, Pat Williams. We do this show every weekend 
on AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. And always delighted when you join us. Uh, We've got another segment with Peter, who's in Nashville, Tennessee, by the way. So stay with us. We're going to talk about more. Hope for the character. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. What's new at the new 950 WTLN? Keep the faith. Saturday nights at midnight. Three hours of just the right Bible message for you. Packaged with your favorite contemporary Christian music. It's new. It's fresh. It's keep the faith. Saturday nights at midnight on the new 950 WTLN. Hi, I'm Barbara Sandbeck, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are why do we have trials and cultivating intimacy with God. You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. Tired of dentures that slip? Fed up with the gooey adhesives? <laughs> the taste and the mess? Yuck. Maybe you don't wear dentures, but you have a few teeth that are in need of replacing. Let me guess, the expense is holding you back, right? Well, we have your solution, Half Price Dental Implants. Just go to AmazingRadioDeals.com and click on Half Price Dental Implants. No gimmicks, no tricks, just fine quality implants so you can have the smile you've always wanted. And for half the price, hurry, this offer will go fast. Log on now at AmazingRadioDeals.com for Half Price Dental Implants. Watch good, clean comedy videos from today's most popular comedians anytime you want at GodTube.com, your place for family entertainment and laughs. It's the all-new GodTube.com. Did you know that there's no retirement in the Bible? Yet many Christians think about their retirement plans regularly. While there's no retirement, there's plenty of redirection. From a Christian financial planning perspective, we should be looking at how we develop our redirection plans. I'm Frank Reynolds, and I'd like for you to join us on Faith, Family, and Finances so we can help you take a look at the best ways to develop your redirection plan. Faith, Family, and Finances with Frank Reynolds. Weekdays at 5 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. on the new 950 W. UTLN. Join the Orlando Bible Church Saturday afternoon from 5 to 6 for What Saith the Scripture? Bring your Bible for an hour-long call-in program on 950 WTLN, the intersection of faith and reason. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Peter Rosenberger is with us in Nashville, Tennessee. His book is called Hope for the Caregiver. Worthy is the publisher. So we've covered uh, the first two areas, Peter. We've talked about the head. We've talked about emotions. Now you do a whole section on lifestyle. Uh, What's going on here? What are you telling us? Well, it's not enough to just deal with thinking about it and feeling about it. Now we actually have to start living it out. What does it look like to put flesh on this skeleton that we're seeing in front of us here? How do you how do you do this? And and so with caregivers, it's it's more than just uh, sitting around reading a Hallmark card. I, I'm a big fan of practical stuff we do every day, and I and I equip caregivers on what it looks like to ask for help and get the encouraged to do it, specific help, and then for non caregivers who want to help, churches and church leaders, so forth. Here's what it looks like to help a caregiver. For example, don't ask a caregiver, well, what can I do? Let me know if there's something I can do to help. Then I got to think of something for you to do. Instead, say, hey, you know what? I got a service that, that does uh, gutter cleaning and they're licensed, bonded, insured. How about if I send them over? Do you need your gutters cleaned? Because the last thing you want is a caregiver up on the roof. Uh, for example, I mean, I, who, who thinks that my <laughs> wife is a double amputee with all this stuff that goes on with her? How many people think it's a good idea for me to be up on the roof? Because if something happens to me, what happens to her? So it's changing your lifestyle a little bit and recognizing, okay, I'm going to make better decisions than what's best for me. In, in, a, in about two weeks here, I'm testing for my black belt, Pat. Oh, my. I've been, I've been doing this for some time now. I made a decision. I'm going to improve my lifestyle. I'm going to sweat, push myself physically, and do what is necessary for me to stay healthy. Do you know that 72% of caregivers – and remember, there's over 65 million of us don't see their own doctor regularly. Now, that's a time bomb. Mm-hmm. How can you expect to take care of somebody who is so vulnerable if your, your health is compromised? 
and you're not going to know if you have high sugars or, uh, or blood pressure problems or cholesterol problems or anything else going on with you if you don't go get it checked out regularly. So I push caregivers to go see their own doctor. You know, the, these are things that we, we've got to do. It's not just a matter of, you know, get a good night's rest and eat a good diet. It's a whole lifestyle change. Dealing with your employer, 47% of caregivers out there, again, there's over 65 million of us, so that's 30 million people in the workforce taking care of a vulnerable loved one at home. Well, do you think that affects the work environment? Do you think that affects productivity? Well, of course it does. So how do you deal with that? That's what we talk about in the book as well, of just little things I've learned over the years of how to deal in the work environment with this. So it's it's a whole comprehensive way of looking at your life, knowing that you're taking care of somebody who is chronically ill, elderly, or disabled with no expiration date in the near future. And don't think for one moment that just because they're disabled or elderly, that they're going to somehow die before you. That That's the kind of thinking that a lady came up to me the other day who said this, that she took care of her father with Alzheimer's. She threw everything to the wind, started taking care of him. Seven years later, she looked around, and she'd lost her business, and she went bankrupt because she didn't keep her eye on the ball on her business while she's taking care of her dad, and then she went bankrupt. Mm. Part four is called planning, Peter. Uh, wh- why is this important? Well, think think about the, the family with a special needs child. The moment that child is born, that family has to start thinking beyond their own grave. See, when you have children born to you, you the reasonable expectations is they're going to grow up, they're going to go to school, get educated, they're going to improve and be able to be self-sustaining. Well, when you have somebody with special needs, that's not always going to be the case. When you have somebody who is elderly and you're thinking, well, they're going to die before me, well, that's not always the case either. So you have to think about your own finances, your own well-being, your own health. If you have other children plus a child with special needs, you've got to think about those children as well. There's a lot to this. One of the things I tell when family have a special needs child that is born, for example, after they talk with the doctor, after they talk with their pastor, the next person on the list, financial planner. I mean, mm. having life insurance, for example, it's, I, I find it hard to call yourself a caregiver if you don't have life insurance. Because if something happens to me, then I've taken away my wife's caregiver and I've left her with no resources if I don't have any kind of financial plan in place. So I've, all the work I've done all these three decades as a caregiver is for naught if mm. I haven't made some type of arrangement. Mm. So it's, it's, it's a, again, it's a comprehensive way of looking at the whole thing, and this is how the church can help provide leadership to these families that are going through this to ask, have you seen your doctor? Have you, do you work with a CPA? Do you have a good financial planner? What's your what's your situation way down the road? Let's look let's look thirty years down there and say, okay, let's move towards planning for this. And you don't have to somehow go out and get ten thousand dollars worth of uh, premiums every month in insurance. It's a gradual build. You're slow walking people away from the cliff so they can make healthy decisions on a day to day basis. You know, you've been in around a long time in sports and so forth else. You, you don't just go out one day and start playing a championship team. It's a build up to that of, of constant working out, constant staying in shape, constant planning and evaluating and retooling your strategies, as, as Bush would uh, Bush actually never said strategery, but I know that they love to say that. He said it. I love that word, strategery. But it's all about strategery. And, and uh, I, that's, that's the whole thing about being a caregiver is learning how to step back from that cliff of despair and making healthy choices for today. Why do you end end that section on planning with the serenity prayer? Well, because that is the encompassing prayer of the whole thing. God, give me the wisdom to deal with this, the courage to deal with this, to help me understand what is mine to carry and what is not mine to carry. That's part of the problem we have as caregivers. We take on something that is not ours. See, I didn't do this to my wife. She had a car accident. I didn't do this to her. And I don't have the power to undo it. So I'm a steward of this thing. I don't own it. I'm a steward. And I have to trust on God who does own the situation. This this is bigger than me. Only God can deal with this sort of thing. And I lean on, not on my understanding, but I, I trust in him and do the best that I can and ask for the courage to make amends when I mess it up, which I do on a regular basis, and the strength to keep going. And he stopped. I think there's a point, Pat, when you get tired of praying for rescuing grace. You know, God, bail me out of this. God, bail me out of this. God, bail me out of this. You can only pray that for so long, and then you kind of have to 
think this thing through here and realize, okay, this is not going to end. And then you start praying for sustaining grace. God, grant me the strength to deal with this today, the courage, the wisdom that I need today, and as I trust you with tomorrow. What do you want us to take from all this discussion in your book, Peter? Healthy caregivers make better caregivers. You are loving that vulnerable loved one better if you're taking care of the one person who is standing between them and disaster, and that's you as a caregiver. If you're not in a good place financially, professionally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, I just got one question for you. If you're in a bad place, how are you able to help someone else? And that's the point of this book is I'm going to focus on keeping the Peter Rosenbergers of the world in a healthier place as best as I can so they can live a calmer life and therefore be a greater blessing to these vulnerable ones that are in our charge. What's next for you, Peter? You got another project in the pipeline? I do. Actually, I'm heading to Africa next month uh, with our prosthetic limb outreach. Uh, That's part of what we do at Standing with Hope. I recruit prosthetists from around the country, and we go over and train and equip local workers to build limbs for their own people. This is the vision my wife had when she lost her legs. And she, she set this in motion. This is still her. She's still the driving passion behind this. We've been doing this over 10 years. And then I'm getting ready to start on my next book. I'm doing it with a uh, friend of mine who's a neurologist here at Vanderbilt in Nashville. And we're going to be going even deeper into these things. Mm. <clears throat> What's your experience like in Africa? I love going over there. It, it's an extraordinary event to put a leg on someone and say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And they do. Mm. And when you when you treat a patient with this type of ministry, and, and you know, a little girl is able to walk, and you look at the look on not only her, but her family and her community, or, or someone's father who lost his leg to diabetes, which is still the number one cause of limb loss, comes in the clinic, and you're able to do this, whether they're Muslim, Christian, pagan, it doesn't matter. Whatever, whatever faith or no faith, the look on their face is extraordinary. And- Peter Rosenberger has been our guest. <clears throat> We're back for a wrap-up, folks, right after this on the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour. It's AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. What's new at the new 950 WTLN? Keep the faith. Saturday nights at midnight, three hours of just the right Bible message for you. Packaged with your favorite contemporary Christian music. It's new. It's fresh. It's Keep the Faith. Saturday nights at midnight on the new 950 WTLN. Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 530 on the new 950 WTLN. If you miss the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace, Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 530 Sunday on the new 950 WTLN. Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Well, thanks for joining us here for the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour. Uh, we had a good visit, uh, first of all, with James Reston Jr., uh, talking about Martin Luther uh, with Reston's new book, Luther's Fortress. And then Peter Rosenberger joined us, uh, talking about Hope for the Caregiver. His book is with Worthy. Uh, please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com, the Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And my most recent book is just coming out. It's called Vince Lombardi on Leadership. Advantage Media Group put the book out, and you can go up to amazon.com and check it out. I uh, hope you enjoy it. And uh, it'll be in bookstores a little bit later this summer as well. Vince Lombardi on Leadership. In the meantime... Uh, Have a great weekend and uh, a wonderful week ahead. Uh, Stay cool in these hot summer days. Don't overdo things and make sure you're drinking plenty of water. Uh, We're back next weekend for more on AM 950 WTLN. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. 
Join us again next week at this same time on the intersection of faith and reason. The new 950 WTLN. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.